One of the most remarkable American Christian families in modern history was that of Dr. Peter Marshall, an immigrant from Scotland who became one of the most famous preachers in our nation during the first half of the 20th century. For some fascinating insights into the spiritual legacy of this family, stay tuned for an interview with his son, the Reverend Peter Marshall. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Once again this week, for the third week in a row, I am delighted to have as my special guest the Reverend Peter Marshall, one of Christendom's greatest authorities on the religious heritage of our nation. Peter, welcome back for the third week. Thank you. Okay. Glad to be here, David. You know, folks, during the past two weeks, we have discussed in detail the Christian heritage of the founding fathers of this nation, and we've taken a look at the challenge of that heritage that we're facing today through the advancing tide of secularism and paganism. In this program, I want to shift gears and take a look at something entirely different. I want to consider the spiritual legacy of our guest's remarkable family. Our guest, the Reverend Peter Marshall, grew up in the shadow of two very famous people. His dad, Dr. Peter Marshall was the most famous preacher, or one of them anyway, in America during the first half of the 20th century. After his dad's death from a heart attack in 1949 at the age of only 46, his mom, Catherine Marshall, became an even more famous person as a biographer of her husband, a compiler of his sermons and prayers, and as a novelist. Then, in 1977, our guest stepped out of the shadows of his famous parents when he published his seminal study of the Christian heritage of America, a book entitled The Light and the Glory. Peter, let's begin our discussion with your remarkable father. Tell us how he came to this country and how he became a preacher. Well, he stepped ashore at Ellis Island in New York City, uh, David, like so many other millions of immigrants, 1927. Uh, he had $5 in his pocket when he landed here and uh, no real definite plan of what he was going to do. But why in the world did he come in the first place? He felt led by the Lord to come. He was, had a sort of Damascus experience with the Lord, didn't he? No, he did. He had uh, in the early chapters of A Man Called Peter, Mother's Biography of Dead, she talks about uh, his time in Scotland. But he had a dramatic encounter with the Lord mm -hmm when the Lord was really trying to get his attention and trying to answer prayers that he and his mother were praying about whether he should uh, immigrate to America. And he felt, he felt sure that he was supposed to do okay. that. So he arrives with five bucks in his pocket. Yeah. Dug ditches across the state of New Jersey, uh, blistering hot summer, uh, got enough money together to go down to Birmingham, Alabama, where two of his buddies from Scotland already were and uh, joined them down there in Birmingham, worked as a cub reporter on the Birmingham News newspaper, uh, went to First Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, and the men's Bible class uh, saw the call of God on his life and helped get together some spending money so that he could answer that call and go to seminary, Columbia Theological Seminary Actually, outside of Atlanta. Actually, wasn't the men of his Sunday school class who uh, yeah. raised money for him and yeah. said, man, you've got to go to seminary. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I mean, how the Lord worked that out for him. So it was, it was really, it's an amazing... And I got tickled. I think I may have read this in your mother's biography of him, uh, that uh, while he was at seminary, uh, the teacher, uh, the, the, the preaching teacher told him that his, 
His style was completely unorthodox and violated all of the uh, rules, but it was effective. So, Well, they it. didn't, thank God, they didn't mess with it. <laughs> you know, the faculty uh, decided not to try to change that. Uh, because Dad wrote his sermons out, and, uh, and you know, as you're well aware, in, in the book of his wartime sermons I put out, I retained that. He wrote those out in poetic style, with uh, sentences descending and, you know, that kind of thing. He would, he, Dad had the soul of a poet, so his sermons were very descriptive. As one of, the, one of the women at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, where I was raised when Dad was pastor there, Uh, Lincoln's church, she said he made Jesus so real to us that we felt like we could hear the rustling of his robes as he passed. I mean, he was... Well, that's very true. And and he was called the poet preacher, and he really was a poet. Yeah. I mean, he wrote in blank verse, but it was was incredible, the power of of his sermons. Uh, People came from all over to hear him. Yeah, uh, they sure did. Lines, uh, young people, lines would go around the church for blocks were, trying I to mean, get he in. Had, he had a real, real appeal to young people. Yeah, oh yeah. Young people loved him because dad, dad would, uh, he would go on a preaching mission somewhere in New Orleans or somewhere. One of his uh, seminary roommates uh, loved to have, invite him down there to do uh, uh, preaching missions in New Orleans. And he would, you know, he would preach, preach his heart out for an hour or so, and then he'd stay around and with the young people play the piano and sing and play games and stuff till the wee hours of the morning. He loved to do that. I was impressed too by the fact that uh, when he graduated from seminary, he already had a reputation as a great preacher. And uh, he was offered a pulpit at a large church in Atlanta. And he said, no, he wasn't ready for that. So he went to Covington, Georgia instead and took a small church and then went to the church in Atlanta and then was called at age 34, I believe it was, to go to this very prestigious church, the Church of the Presidents in Washington, D.C., New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. Three blocks from the White House. And your mom was only 22 years old. Yeah. That must have been quite an experience for her. Oh, boy. She was, was, um, you know, she was thrown into this this. church hidebound at that point by tradition and where the gospel had not really been broken loose for a number of years. And uh, people can watch the movie, read the book, but dad went through uh, a couple of years of real tough sledding until the Lord finally broke through all of that. And that church experienced just an explosion of uh, new people coming in, U.S. senators, representatives, the choir became uh, absolutely stupid. I can I can still hear that choir <laughs> from when I was a little boy. Fabulous choir. I've seen photographs of people standing in line to get in the church. Oh, no question about that. That would happen almost every Sunday. Lines <laughs> that would go around the church for several blocks, e- even in snow, driving rain. People, the pictures of people under their umbrellas waiting to get in there because they would have two services and they would be waiting to get into the 11 o'clock service, you know, after the first, waiting for the first service to dismiss and this was a, the sanctuary was large. I mean, so I mean, there were a lot of people coming, and they were coming again for Jesus because Dad made Jesus so real, and his preaching was very relevant. I mean, he talked about people's issues, and that's you know that's the way I've always preached too. I have no patience for concept-driven services that go over people's heads. I mean, that's not preaching to me. You've got to touch people's hearts with the issues that govern their daily lives. You know, the money, the marriage. Reminds me of a church I went to in Oklahoma one time to preach at, and it would seat about 800, and there were probably 40 people there that morning. It looked like they'd been shot out of a shotgun. And I wondered what was going on here. And when it was over, I went out to the lobby, and there was the last week's bulletin. And I picked it up, and the sermon was the ontological perspective of Karl Barth. Well, (laughs) 
Yeah. Who cares? Uh, yeah, good luck. <laughs> I mean, I met Carl Barth. He was an absolutely magnificent theologian, but to, to, to try to preach his theology from the pulpit is not. No, no. Read him in your study, and then preach something from him, for what he, you know, that'll touch your people. Now, another aspect that I'd like you to tell us about concerning your father is that um, he, in the last two years of his life, served as the chaplain of the United States Senate. Right. Selected once by Republicans and another by Democrats, I believe. He, he both da- dad ministered to both of them uh, prior to dad's coming. Uh, as Senate chaplain, prior to his taking that office, uh, the senators usually didn't show up for the morning prayer. Um, they would, you know, they drift in, you know, when they felt like it kind of thing. Um, I can remember several years back, David, I had an old, old man come up to me. He said, he, when I was preaching somewhere in the country, he said, I was the, I was the, um, not not UPS. He said, I was the UPS guy that covered the beat of Capitol Hill when your dad was Senate chaplain. Mm-hmm. He said, I remember him very, very well. He said, <clears throat> prior to was what I've just said, prior to was coming, you know, they wouldn't show up for the prayer. He said, he started praying. When he took office, he started praying. And he said, soon they started showing up. And he said, I can hear it still in my mind. He said it would, the Senate starts at noon. He said that, you know, the, the clock, that, that minute hand would move up toward noon. And he said the cry would go through the corridors of the Capitol yeah. building. He'd say, marshal's up, Time marshal's up. That meant get in there, you know. He said I can still Well, hear. I can understand it because your mother published uh, the prayers, uh, many of his prayers that he prayed before the U.S. Senate. And my wife and I used it as a devotional book for about six months. And she could hardly wait. Either one of us could hardly wait the next morning to read the next prayer because yeah. they were so eloquent and they always focused on Jesus Christ. Yeah, they were sharply relevant yeah. to what was going on. Um, Dad would really, he was really their chaplain. He would pray for them that they would be delivered from, that God would deliver them from making the wrong decisions or argue, fall, falling into arguing about, you know, things that weren't important. What do you see as your father's greatest legacy to the church? I think number one is sense that God has had his hand on this nation from day one. Dad had a strong understanding of that, which I've inherited. But uh, He did not have an aloof and distant God. No, no, no not at all. <laughs> but even as a Scot, uh, you know, an immigrant, not born here, Dad was given by the Lord a, the gift of a, of a deep understanding and discernment about the nature of this nation, about what America is really all about, and, and God's hand, God's God's plan for that. He understood that. And it's, it's remarkable to me, David, as I've looked back through some of his sermons, uh, the exact same phraseology that I use, not having known that dad had used that, mm-hmm. I discovered the exact same phraseology in, in some of his sermons. And I think, gosh, that, I mean, that's genetics. That, that's the Lord. I, you know, I didn't well, let's know come that. back uh, in a moment and talk about your remarkable mother. Welcome back to my interview with the Reverend Peter Marshall about the spiritual legacy of his remarkable family. Uh, Peter, after your dad died uh, at the age of 46, I believe it was, a very young man, uh, your mother became almost as famous as he did, if not more famous. How did that happen? Well, it was really God's God's gift, David. Uh, Mom really didn't know how she was going to support herself and me after dad died. Dad left no will. 
actually. Your mother ended up writing a tract for the American Lawyers Association about <laughs> leaving wills. But uh, she went and taught English at a nearby uh, uh, prep school there near where we lived in Washington, D.C. for a while and brought out the first edition of Dad's Sermons, Mr. Jones, Meet the Master. The entire first printing was sold out before publication day. Wow, isn't that something? And they just, I mean, God bless that thing. People across the nation just, just vacuumed up that book. I have a copy of it myself, and I love yep, it. There you go. I mean, it's terrific. Some of Dad's best sermons. And uh, she, she followed that quickly with, I mean, that began to help us get on our feet. But And, of course, Dad's legacy just was going out across the country with that. She immediately started work on A Man Called Peter, the biography. Uh, that was published in 1951, two years later, <coughs> made into a movie in 1955. What a powerful book. Very powerful. And here's the, here's the interesting thing, David. Edward Aswell, who was the senior editor of McGraw-Hill Publishing in New York that published the book, he was, a, he was nearing retirement age when she turned in that manuscript. And this was the first thing she had written. All right. The, the first book she'd written, she'd written a couple of college, uh, mm-hmm. you know, papers and so forth. Ed Aswell said he had never in his entire career ever received a first book that needed less editing than that one. It was, well, that was the anointing of God. Absolutely right. It's miraculous. I mean, I, you know, as a writer, I look at that book today. I, when I recently brought out a new edition of it, anniversary yeah. edition some years this back, one here. you know, and I went through it. And I had not I had not been in it since the time I first read the manuscript when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, I hadn't opened it. I was amazed, David, at how well written that book well, is. It wonderful. is really beautifully done. And this done. book had an incredible impact, uh, not only as a book, but as a movie, which was made in, what, oh. 1955? Millions and millions starring of Starring Richard Todd. Right. And it was a blockbuster. Yeah. But the impact of those two, there, I, I, I have read many times that hundreds if not thousands of young men decide to go into the ministry as a result of this book. And, well, that's absolutely true. And the movie. And I have had, I have had dozens and dozens, I'm not exaggerating, I have had dozens and dozens of ministers say to me that I saw that movie when I was 14 or 15 or 16 or 18 or something. <laughs> and when I came out of the theater, I knew that God had called me into the gospel yes, ministry. I, you know, that's the Lord. I mean, that's the, He has used the, the book and the movie beyond my mother's wildest imagination. Now, both the book and the movie are available through your ministry. Right? Oh, yes, okay. absolutely. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But I wanted, uh, you know, probably most of our viewers who are familiar with your mom, Catherine Marshall, probably know her better from something we haven't even mentioned yet, and that is her first novel, Christie. Right. Over 14 million copies of that book in print, David. I mean, it's mind-boggling. Tell us about what What is that book about? Well, it was based on, on two years of my grandmother, uh, mother's mother, her life in the Great Smoky Mountains as a young Presbyterian missionary. Mm-hmm. She went, I've been back up on where she was, back to the mission. It's amazing. Uh, in January snowstorm, at the age of 19, she followed the postmaster through the snowdrifts five or six miles back up in one of those hollers back up in the Great Smokies in northeastern Tennessee to minister to those people, many of whom, many of whom had never, never, never been out of those mountains. And uh, most of whom had never been out of them. And it's based, it's a novel. So, I mean, there's yeah. fiction, but, it's, but the way of life, the way the people were, the issues, what it was all about, 
absolutely true. And that was later made into a blockbuster uh, television series. CBS TV series, right. They did a good job with it. Kelly Martin, a young actress, played uh, Grandma. Yeah. But it, it, she, it took incredible courage for Grandma to do what she did. Yeah. I mean, no, no woman ever went back up in the, you know, from, from outside the mountains. Sure. You didn't go back up in there because they shot first and asked questions <laughs> later. They were afraid you were revenue or secret. The only, the only cash crop they had was corn whiskey. You know? So, well, I mean, they go. didn't take to strangers. But, and she went up there not only as a woman, she went up there by herself. Oh, my. I mean, unbelievable. Well, I've got to read that book. That's one I haven't read. Uh, Let's come back in just a moment and talk about your father's sermons. That God has been preparing this great nation to fulfill a destiny in the world. Welcome back to my interview of the Reverend Peter Marshall regarding the remarkable spiritual legacy of his family. Peter, uh, one of your most recent books is this one called The Wartime Sermons of Your Father, Dr. Peter Marshall. I tell you, this is one of the best books that I have read in years. I started reading this. I couldn't put it down. I've got every page in it marked. This is the best collection of sermons I've ever read in my life. And what amazed me is even though they were delivered during World War II, they were just as relevant as if they were preached yesterday. Tell us about this book Absolutely. and give us some examples of these sermons. Well, I picked 12 of Dad's best World War II sermons, wrote uh, a good, solid, lengthy introduction right. to them, talking about Dad's preaching style that we talked about earlier, and about World War II, what that was about, because a lot of people today don't even know what that was all about. <laughs> and in front of each sermon, I have the page, I have a screen uh, shot of Dad's original sermon manuscript and a one-page introduction about that sermon. Why did he preach that sermon on that Sunday? Mm-hmm. You know, what was going on in the war that he felt led to preach that? But one of the most famous sermons Dad ever gave, uh, David, was at the United States Naval Academy on Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th, 41. Talk about the hand of God. Uh, well, Dad had been invited to preach, and so leaving New York Avenue Presbyterian in the hands of his associate pastor, Dad drove over to Annapolis. But while he was driving over there that morning, he felt strongly led to change his sermon. Yes, that's, that amazed me. Right. So he walks into the chaplain's office and says that. Chaplain says, well, by all means, preach on whatever you want. Dad ended up preaching a sermon on death. On death. Now, and how Christians die. And nobody knew, of course, that Pearl Harbor was being bombed at that point. But the news came right after church was over. So he was preaching a sermon on death. The entire midshipmen, all the the midshipmen were in the chapel and heard that sermon. here's, Here's part of what he said. The meek shall inherit the earth, Christ said. But he did not mean six feet of it, not a hole in the ground. The grave is not their final heritage. There are a thousand insane things easier to believe than these. Human personality will survive. It must survive. Else God would be the capricious joker in the universe who created toys in his own image so that he might break them and sweep them into the garbage cans of his own caprice. Yet where can we find the reassurance the heart seeks? The only proof. The final convincing proof is to be found in Jesus Christ. Read the flaming words of those first preachers in the Acts of the Apostles, and you will see that the good news of apostolic preaching was not Jesus' life, but his death, not his ethic, but his resurrection. The first disciples knew that human personality would survive because one who went into the grave and beyond had come back to say, whosoever believeth in me shall not perish but have eternal life. And then driving home, he hears about Pearl Harbor. Right. And we don't know for sure, but evidently a lot of those people died 
who were listening to that talk. Well, I had an old man come up to me when I was preaching in, in Oregon uh, some years back now. And I had mentioned that sermon, David, and the movie and stuff in my message when I you know, was introducing it. He came up to me afterward with tears in his eyes. He said, I was in the chapel that morning. He said, You'll have, you have no idea what that sermon meant to the United States Navy. He said, whether we were on destroyers or battleships or aircraft carriers or minesweepers or submarines, wherever we were stationed, we had heard that message before we went to war. He said, we had a chance to get right with God. And we took it. And he Praise said, you Lord. have no idea what that meant to us. Give us another example of the sermons of your dad during World War II. Well, it's just it's, it's amazing stuff in this book. Uh, <laughs> here's one that, that's very, very pertinent you know, for today. Uh, this is the last sermon in the book. What's the title of the sermon? Uh, Our Covenant Nation. Oh, okay. okay. Ours is a covenant nation, covenanted with God in the beginning that had its origins in the determination of the Pilgrim Fathers to establish on this continent a settlement, quote, to the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. They believed in the equality of the individual before God and that every soul was equally precious in God's sight. The nation was established to the glory of God in order that all should have an equal chance to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to provide a model for the world and to lead men into a better life. Apart from faith in God, the history of America has no meaning. A covenant nation is one which recognizes its dependence upon God and its responsibility towards God, and that the highest role a nation can play is to reflect God's righteousness in national policy. That was preached in 1947, David, and we need to hear it today. Boy, do we ever. And that leads me to this uh, final question I wanted to ask you about your dad and his sermons. If he were preaching today, what do you think he would be preaching? That he would, he would be preaching, dad would be thundering strongly from the pulpit that this nation is blowing its call, you know, that we are rejecting God's plan for us, that we need to come to deep repentance. He'd be preaching what I'm preaching. It's, you know, because this is, this is what, what I believe God is saying to us today. Dad would be right, right up on that and would be preaching that very strongly. He would be a prophetic voice. Oh, absolutely. Because, uh, again, as I said earlier, Dad had this strong sense of God's plan for this nation. He, he appreciated America as only an immigrant can who, you know, who, because, see, we've grown up with freedom. We take it for granted. Yes. And it's, 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 it's second nature to us. We don't realize the precious gift it is. But those who are born elsewhere, you know, especially those coming out from under oppressive government regimes, have a real appreciation of it. I tell every, every person I meet who's come out of that kind of background and come to America, I say, please, please, please speak up to us Americans because we tend to take this for granted. We're spoiled. We don't know what we've got here. But the problem is because we don't appreciate God's plan for us and his, and his call on this nation, David, we're losing it. It's, we're squandering this heritage. So if Dad were alive today, you bet he'd be talking about that.
Peter, as we bring our program to a close, I want to thank you once more for coming all the way from Massachusetts down here, <laughs> a long journey, uh, to uh, be with us. And I want to thank you for being with us for three weeks in a row that uh, you have really, uh, as we say in Texas, you blessed my socks off, brother. <laughs> and I want to conclude by uh, giving you an opportunity to tell our viewers how to get in touch with you in case they want to invite you to come speak. And most important of all, how they can get in touch with your materials. So look sure. right in that camera. Sure, be glad to. Well, you can get on my website, which is petermarshallministries.com, and uh, you'll find a very extensive website there with our store. You can get in there and explore that. Uh, we have the, our adult history books, of course, uh, The Light and the Glory, From Sea to Shining Sea, Sounding Forth the Trumpet. We have the Book of Dead's wartime sermons there. Um, the TV show Christie, the series is there. The movie A Man Called Peter uh, children's versions of uh, our adult books for 8 to 12-year-olds, and uh, activity books for the 5 to 8-year-olds, the little kids. We have the whole family covered. We have four of the Crimson Cross Adventure series of four historical novels for young teenagers that the kids love, and their parents and grandparents love them uh, because these are based on accurate American history. Uh, we tweak it a little bit, add a little bit of drama, but we put the kids, the young readers, right down in the middle of it with these uh, 15, 16, 17-year-old heroes and heroines that actually change American history, become a part of what God did in our nation. So the kids, and it's about character formation. The kids learn about these young people that they're reading about who made the right choices uh, for God's will in their lives. So there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, you can contact me either over the phone calling our 800 toll-free number, 800-879-3298, I'll be happy to talk to you, and I'm easily reached. I'll be happy to talk to you about coming for speaking engagements, conferences, or Sunday preaching in your churches, wherever it might be. Um, you can order over the phone as well. We take uh, MasterCard and Visa. You can use charge cards so, or send in checks if you'd rather. But uh, my secretary would be glad to field your phone calls and uh, help you out. There's all kinds of materials and, and opportunities available for you all. So, again, that website address, petermarshallministries.com. Well, I really want to encourage people to get in touch with you, Peter. Your, your ministry is a vital one. It's uh, certainly impacted my life. This book, The Wartime Sermons, I just can't begin to tell how wonderful it is. I hope people will get a copy. You have, what, 22 audio recordings of your father's sermons? That's right. The only ones that have survived, David, they're and available you, on either uh, cassette or CD. They're powerful. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are I indeed. Highly, in fact, they're so powerful. One time we sent out one of your father's sermons, Trial by Fire, to yeah. all 2,500 of our prophecy partners. Right. And that's a powerful sermon. It's a tremendous <laughs> sermon and very relevant to, to America today, I might add. I, I, I was telling you uh, uh, in the break here that uh, first time I heard that sermon, I was driving down the highway. And when he got to the end, I nearly drove off into a ditch uh, <laughs> because uh, it has such a powerful ending where powerful. he talks about you choose Yahweh or you choose Baal. Yeah. And if you choose Baal, you can go to hell. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. He, his exact words are, if, if God be God, yes. then follow him. And if Baal be God, then follow him and go to hell. Yeah. That's, that's exactly how we, well, yeah. this is not missing I mean, that anyone. kind of spells it out pretty clearly. <laughs> well, folks, uh, that's our program for this week. I hope you will be back with us this same time next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. What are the facts about our religious heritage and the faith of our founding fathers? Purchase the three-part DVD, America's Christian Heritage, and find out. 
Join Dr. David Reagan interviewing the Reverend Peter Marshall as he shares more than 30 years of intense research into the original documents of the men and women who shaped America. You will hear stories few have ever heard. Peter Marshall quotes the very words of the Founding Fathers revealing how ignorant we have become of real history. Part 1 reveals little-known facts on our nation's Christian heritage. Part 2 is a discussion of the challenges facing that heritage. And as a special bonus, Part 3 concludes with Peter Marshall sharing his personal Christian heritage with two remarkable parents, famous preacher Dr. Peter Marshall and popular author Catherine Marshall. America's Christian heritage could be yours for a gift of $12 or more plus shipping. Call 1-800-705-8316 today to request a copy or order online at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministry, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.